Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, guys. Welcome back to the show. We have the one and only Jen Sincero on here with us today, who is the number one New York Times bestselling author of You Are a Badass. First of all, that is a badass title in itself. How did you first come up with that? <laughs> you know, actually it was sort of a breach birth. My my book titles usually come first and then I write the book based on the title. But that thing that was a wrestling match. I got the idea to write the book and then really months and months of just I don't, I don't even know. It was it was it was a struggle. So it came from lots of blood, sweat, and tears where that title came from. <laughs> ah, interesting. So it wasn't yeah. just one moment you were showering and you're like, oh, this has to be the title. For yeah. Me. Yeah. It was really, I mean, I knew I wanted to say something like, you are awesome. You can do it. But you are a badass was definitely, um, definitely took some time. I had a friend who had a website called Hey Little Badass. So it sort of brought the badass word into my radar because uh, it wasn't something I normally used. So yeah, I don't know. It was really just uh, a million lists of options. And I finally settled on that one. I'm really glad you chose your badass because it just, well, first of all, it just sounds more badass. But I think there is this perception of when you you see a title like You Are Awesome, it, it kind of you automatically gets into the typical self-help book. Uh, whereas I know this book has its own message around helping people but it's certainly structured in a different way that's comical there's it's very entertaining and it's not simply if you think it you can be it you know it's not one of those typical messages but it's rather this mindset shift which i think can be even more powerful for a lot of people so talk to us a little bit about what got you into writing your first book you know i i was doing a lot of work on myself back in the day i my big struggle was around money um, and in my 40s, I found myself really broke, living in a converted garage, um, making all of my decisions based on how much stuff cost because I didn't have any money. And this is something that's always sort of cracked me up, you know, in an attempt to not make money the center focus of our lives and to, you know, we're we're better than that. We end up making money the center focus of our lives because when you're broke, every decision you make is based on how much stuff costs. And, you know, now that I have money, I don't really think about it as much. So I was sort of in that zone and I was really sick of it. And so I started reading every self-help book under the sun, um, going to coaching seminars and hiring private coaches and finally admitting that, you know, for 40 some odd years, I've been trying to change my life on my own. And I had to admit that maybe I needed some help. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I started seeking help in all of these different ways. And after reading, you know, and as I was reading all these self-help books, I found a huge gap in the kind of book I would have wanted to really read, or honestly, the kind of book I wanted to write, which was one that was funnier, that had, you know, more irreverent stories and some curse words. It was just a little bit edgier. I felt like there really was room for something like that in the world. Sure. And uh, that's how I got the idea. And what were you doing? You said you were struggling even when you're early 40s. Mm-hmm. And what were you doing before 
you know, I had my big corporate job was at a record company, but that was, and that I stopped doing that in 1996. And then I was, and I was an advertising copywriter. They had an in-house ad agency at the record company. Um, and then I went on to doing just sort of freelance, any kind of freelance writing I could get my hands on. And so really my whole, you know, freelance life up until I started being a coach, um, was, was writing, you know, writing ads, writing sales pages. I'd written, uh, you are badass is not my first book. It's my third book. So I did publish a couple books in there. Um, also neither of which were very lucrative, you know, um, I got them published, which was amazing. Uh, So yeah, so I had, I had success in getting published, but I, I still, again, money was my big stumbling block. And the jobs that you had in the advertising industry, I mean, back in the day, I mean, they, they were, they weren't like, you know, minimum wage job necessarily, right? W- weren't you making fairly good salaries on just the jobs that you had on your regular day job? No, no, I was freelance, which is a phrase I hate because the word free is a little mm. too accurate. Um, <laughs> no, I was spending my time hustling, you know, and I spent, I did, I had a couple regular ish clients. I was, I was doing a lot of uh, work freelance for record companies, writing various weird things that most normal people don't even know exist. It's more internal stuff. So yeah, you can make a lot of money as an advertising copywriter, but I wasn't. (laughs) And I was, and I was doing it, as I said, freelance and I was, it was just a mess. I was, I was making, you know, probably 35, 40 grand a year, if that. Right. So it's like average, uh, well, a little bit lower than average US salary, I guess. I mean, how did you think you got to that place? I mean, was it the way you've been taught about money when you were a child or when you were a teenager? Was it you were just jumping from job to job and you weren't disciplined enough? What do you think that was? I think I had very screwed up, you know, I had a very screwed up relationship with money, which most people who don't have any do have. You know, I felt like I was a musician and a writer and it it was much more noble in my mind to focus on the art and, you know, any money that came in was gravy or luck, but to actually pursue it as a career and to really focus on the making of money around those things somehow seemed horrible and, um, selling out, you know, I had a lot of judgment on that. I also, um, felt like I really had this weird, you know, after studying myself on what the hell my problem was, I discovered that I had this weird belief that money wasn't really available to me. I would see people with yachts and private jets and that I would feel like they were literally a different species than I was. It's almost the way a lot of us feel like we see adults and we're like, I could never be an adult. I'm me. I'm this like weird perpetual child person. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's just this sort of identity that I had as somebody who was broke that I didn't even realize I had. And then a real underlying one that I discovered after many years of really going deep on this stuff was that, and this is a a pretty common one that a lot of people have that they don't realize in different forms. But I realized that because my dad growing up, uh, one of the ways he showed affection to us was to like give us 20 bucks or help us out with rent every once in a while. And that made him feel really good. And like he was, you know, providing for us. And I had this underlying feeling that if I got really rich, I'd basically be stabbing my dad in the heart. You know, I'd be taking away his way of feeling loved and needed by me. I wouldn't need him anymore. And I wouldn't love him anymore. And I think a lot of people don't want to outshine their parents or 
be better than their parents. You know, just a lot of people have stuff going on around that as well. But that was my personal version. Sounds like your parents were divorced when you were young. Mm -hmm. And were they well off? Or were they not well off? Um, they were. My dad was a doctor. And um, yeah, we always we always had money. So it wasn't that we were scraping. You know, I didn't get the message that, you know, everybody's got their own thing for different reasons. So I wasn't, you know, led to believe there isn't enough, even though I felt that way. I interpreted my family's blueprint. My dad is an Italian immigrant, so he came from the old country and, you know, probably has millions of dollars buried in his backyard. <laughs> I don't know. You know, he, he sort of had this mentality that you, it wasn't okay to spend money, that, you know, being showy with money isn't okay, um, that you have to work really, really hard. You know, he passed down a lot of stuff that he believed was true to me, and I interpreted it in my variety of ways. Yeah, I mean, I come from a conservative family as well, where, you know, my, my parents aren't exactly lavish lifestyles. And I've always been taught that things like, oh, money's not going to make you happy. And, and a lot of these things that I had to unlearn, because even society, it wasn't just my family, but it was all around the media, it was all around the internet. And it's such a taboo topic, essentially, in our, in our society, I find. So uh, first of all, I mean, why do you think this is such a taboo topic for people to really talk about? It's such an uncomfortable topic, especially when you get down to the details. It is. I, you know, I've written, I was writing about sex for a long time. And I have got to say, honestly, I think that money is even more loaded than sex and religion. I think it is way, there's so much more judgment around it than we even realize. There's so much more fear. There's so much more shame. Uh, and I think it's so interesting because, you know, obviously I've been studying it now for pretty intensely and it amazes me how, when we talk about making lots of money and when we think about people who make lots of money, we usually go to this incredibly negative place where we think of all the horrible things that people do in the pursuit of money. Um, you know, the way that we just rape and pillage other humans and the planet and just all the really truly horrible things that do happen in this world out of greed um, meanwhile, we, in, we have proof every single day all around us of incredibly wonderful things that money does for us everywhere. Like right now I'm, I'm sitting on a really comfortable chair and I'm using a computer and I'm, you know, talking to you over the internet and, you know, I'm having an awesome cup of coffee. All of this stuff costs money, but we tend to just blaze over that and look at all the horrors that money uh, brings. And, you know, all the horrible things we think about rich people. And I just think it's every fear we've got and every judgment we got has power over us until we stop and look at it and question it and be like, huh, why do I think that? Why do I fear that? Why do I believe that? And it's only until we have that awareness to start questioning it that we can really unhook from it and take its power away. Um, and I guess it is parts of the media that really display this taboo-ness you know, whether it's displaying certain people that are assholes that are maybe making a little bit of money and we immediately have this cognition in our brain to think that people that are rich are assholes or we have this negative conception around it. But what I found is the people that are really making wealth, you know, whether it's eight, nine or even 10 figures, whether they've built a business or they were able to accumulate that, those are generally for me, at least, the people that like to give back the most. And I don't know if they it's because if they've already made it that or if that was the skill set that actually allowed them to get there. Whereas the people that are kind of making decent money seem to be the ones that are like the assholes. I don't know if you found the same. Yeah, I, I think I found I know plenty of poor people who are assholes. And I know plenty of rich people who are assholes. Mm. You know, I think 
I think the more money you have, the more you become who you are. So if you're an asshole when you're broke, you're going to be a real big asshole when you're rich. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. You, because what money does is it gives you freedom and options. It gives you the ability to express yourself in more ways. So if you're a very altruistic giving person when you're broke, you can only give a certain amount of yourself. And when, you know, if you become wealthy, then you can then give that much more. I personally don't see a correlation between income level and asshole level. Yeah, I mean, it definitely highlights more of, of who you are. So that, that really is an interesting point. What I like about this topic is it's this mindset shift that, you know, your first book, You Are a Badass, it's really for anyone that wants to play bigger. I mean, we were talking off the air about whether this is for people that are just getting started. And you mentioned something interesting, which is really it's just for the people that are looking to get to that next level, whether it's one to two or one to 10, because it's simply that mindset shift. And I'm curious to know for you personally, when you were living in a converted garage and an alleyway, you know, we'd love to get to the details of that. How did you... You really don't, trust me. <laughs> no, I kind of do. I kind of do. I think it'll be interesting. But I'm curious to know, you know, a little bit about that story and how did you personally start making that mindset shift around what money means to you and... Well, again, it really started from uh, the decision. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that was probably the biggest, most important mindset shift I made and was to make the decision to get rich. And even just saying that, I decided to get rich. That is a judgy, that is loaded. If I you know. walk around saying, hey, you know, I made the decision to go get rich instantly. We decide that you're going to do things that are horrible for money, that you're going to compromise your values. And so here's the thing. If you're broke, you have to decide to get rich. You have to focus on it like you've never focused on anything else. It's the same. I talk about this a lot in my book, too. If you want to go, if you want to lose weight and you've never, you know, and it's just not working, you have to focus on going on a diet and getting exercise and buying good food in your house and you're talking about it with your friends and you're hiring private trainers. Like you have to focus on it or it's not going to happen. And a big problem for a lot of people when it comes to going from broke to rich is we refuse to let ourselves focus on it because we think it's dirty and wrong. One of the most important things I did in the early days was allow myself to focus on getting rich. And with that decision, I decided really, if it wasn't making me money, I wasn't doing it then, you know, like I did put some of my creative stuff on the side. I was still playing music and practicing and whatever, but I put, you know, I'd spent all my life being a creative person. I was like, all right, let's let this money piece take the front seat for a little while. And so that's when I started doing things I'd never done before, like, you know, risk dying in my sleep and being found with a bunch of cheese ball self-help books in my house. Like, honestly, I was so too cool for school with that kind of stuff just in the beginning, like to read self-help books and honestly to admit that I needed help. So I had to get over my ego and my identity around that. What are some uh, of the books, sorry to interrupt you, what are some of those books that if you could kind of name one or two books that's really mm -hmm. impacted you around money, mindset, growth, what are some mm -hmm. of those books that you recommend? You know, one of the first, very first books I ever read was The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And that was a, I, I had no idea about even the power of my mind or perception that, that, that was sort of the big, the first one that just sort of blew my mind right out of the gate. As far as mindset goes, money books, I really loved think and grow rich and, uh, the science of think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill and the science of getting rich by Wallace Waddles. I've, I've read that one a million times. 
it was focusing on specifically the money piece. Then I started going to any seminar that was like, you know, the secrets of a millionaire mind and a millionaire, what, you know, whatever. I would go to all these seminars again that were completely uncomfortable for me because I was really cool and I didn't go to these kinds of cheese ball seminars. But again, because I'd made the decision to get rich, if it was leading me towards that, I, I went and did it. You know, I talk a lot about in both you are a badass and you are a badass at making money about the the real thing that you got to look for when you decide to make big changes in your life, regardless of, you know, if it's your personal life or your finances or whatever, you have to agree to get uncomfortable over and over and over and over again. This really, I found to be so true in the early days when, and, and still, I mean, as I continue to grow, it's all about allowing yourself to get uncomfortable because, you know, we hear it all the time. It's such a self-help standard, like get outside your comfort zone. But the reason we say it all the time is because we do things that are familiar and, and quote unquote comfortable. Meanwhile, being broke is super uncomfortable, but it's really familiar. So I got there by doing certain things that were familiar and known to me. And it wasn't until I started doing the unknown and the unfamiliar and the uncomfortable that I started turning my life around. And for me at the time, it was reading the self-help books and going to the seminars and paying lots of money to hire private coaches you know, stretching myself financially was terrifying. Private coaches for your finance. personal finance? Yeah, I um so at one of these seminars, and this was, I don't even know, like at least 10 years ago, maybe, yeah, 10. Uh, I was at some money-making seminar, and I, I met a woman who f specialized in specifically helping women entrepreneurs with their finances. And she was somebody who had had her own electricity turned off because she was so broke. And now she was making high six figures as a life coach. And I barely knew it. This was back before, you know, when life coaching was even more weird, you know, and mistrusted than it is today. <laughs> anyway, I met her and I really liked what she had to say. And I thought she was really smart. And she, you know, walked through the valley of darkness herself. And I knew I really wanted to work with her. And her fee was basically a quarter of my annual income at the time. And I remember thinking, and now because I'd made the decision that I was going to get rich, I was unauthorized to go back to the comfortable spot, which was my old mantra of, I can't afford it. I literally said that to pretty much everything. So instead of saying I can't afford it, I was like, I'm going to figure out how to hire this woman. And that right there is the key difference to so many people's personal transformation. It's the not backing down and the looking towards the familiar old ass excuses that have gotten you exactly where you are right now to figuring it the hell out. I did something that scared the living crap out of me, which was take out another credit card and go even deeper into credit card debt. And I'm not a big proponent of credit card debt, um, but I do know that if I had waited until I had made that money to hire her at my current income, I'd still be trying to hire her. So I had to scare the crap out of myself. And that was easily the scariest thing I, you know, I could have done. And I remember I took out this credit card, I paid her, and then five minutes later called her up weeping and begging for her for the money <laughs> to give me the money back. And she, you know, she's like, this easily could be the most important money you've ever spent on yourself. And, and, you know, I could have dropped the ball and I could have wasted that money. I certainly have seen people do that over and over, you know, some clients of mine and myself included, like I've hired coaches and not followed through, but 
I was not screwing around and I had made the decision and I did every single thing this coach taught me to do. And I basically tripled my income within the first, I think, six months of working with her. But I had to scare the living crap out of myself over and over and over again. So the money was the first thing I did was paying her. And then I created an online business. I made, you know, cold calls for sales. I started coaching people like it was it was terrifying. I did a lot of stuff I'd never done before, but I broke the dam of my own poverty and and started creating a new reality for myself. What were some of the things that she was having you do or that she was teaching you that you weren't doing before? Mm -hmm. Well, first we focused on all of my beliefs around money, you know, and it's such an interesting exercise. And actually in both of my books, um, I put this, uh, this is the only exercise I've repeated in both of my books, but I have everybody write a letter to money. And I think this is such a cool thing to do because, you know, in our conscious minds, we're like, hell yeah, I love making money. Give me as much money as you can give me. Like we think it's all great and cheap, you know, lovely. But then when you go deeper and you sit down and write a letter to money, you you discover all sorts of things. And, you know, my letter was something like, I love you. I wish I had more of you, but I feel dirty even saying that out loud and I don't trust you and I'm so psyched when you show up, but I feel like you're going to leave and never come back. So, um, you know, the first thing you got to do is become aware of your complete freak show going on around money. So that's what we did at first. And then, you know, once you realize what your issues are around it, you can start to question them and unhook from them. So we really started with a lot of mindset stuff. How long is the letter? Sorry. uh, I don't know if she actually, I mean, write a letter, but I know we worked on my mindset around money. Hmm. And then she sort of looked at what I had going. She just basically helped me set up a business. Um, I had already published two books at the time and I had access to a big network of women entrepreneurs. And she's like, all right, well, women entrepreneurs, if they want to be taken more seriously as experts, they all need to write books and you know how to write books. So why don't you start an online coaching business where you coach women entrepreneurs on how to write and sell their nonfiction book proposals. So it was this very specific thing with a very specific deliverable. And I learned all about online marketing. I worked my ass off. I went to every women's entrepreneurial networking meeting, took cards, handed out my cards, like basically just again was hell bent to make money and to get out of my present state. And I learned that I actually was a pretty good, good at coaching people on publishing their books. And I learned all about online marketing. And all of this was, a, again, really uncomfortable because I felt like a fraud because I'd never coached anybody before. I felt, you know, I didn't know anything about online marketing. So that was really uncomfortable to, to learn all that stuff. I had to hire people to help them set up my systems, which was terrifying yet again. I had to present as this cheesy, you know, in my mind, cheesy online marketer with my little banner and my little squeeze page. And, you know, I was in a rock band at the time and I had lots of street cred and had, you know, based a lot of my identity on being extremely cool. So for me to start an online business was extremely uncomfortable. (laughs) But again, I was, you know, she at one point said to me, would you rather be broke and cool or rich and cheesy. I was like, rich and cheesy, bring it on. I made the choice. And so it was about being very serious about my decision around money as opposed to backing down into the old me and um, not doing what it took. And this idea that you had about going after this niche, is this something that you were already thinking about before you brought on your life coach? She came up with all of it. Mm, So she was not just a life coach, but she sounds like she had a business system and she had the awareness of being able to understand the markets and 
kind of pairing that with your own personal strengths and experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I ask that because I think a lot of people have this conception about life coaches as being kind of woo-woo. And in some aspects, it can be. I know a few people that haven't had the best experiences and just hearing you talk about credit card debt and going through that. And then I'm assuming she found a way so that she can convince you. But it's like in that gray line where it's kind of like you're really playing to someone's emotions. So I can see from most people's perspective why it can sound a little bit woo-woo, but I know a lot of people on the other end whose lives have been transformed. So how do you distinguish for people that are actually interested in finding a coach and being able to help them with that aspect of their lives? How do you distinguish someone that's really credible versus someone that maybe not experienced at all? Well, I think it's the same with anybody that you hire for anything. You know, how do you hire a good plumber? How do you hire a good therapist or a a good assistant, you know? You got to do your homework and see who they've worked with and see what their own life is like. I mean, the whole labeling of life coach, success coach, business coach, like a life coach can be a lot of things. I mean, your business is your life as well. And the woo-woo part, you know, that a lot of people say is woo-woo and I call it woo-woo also, but woo-woo generally is mindset. Mm. You know, it's the thinking of positive thoughts and what you focus on, you create more of and affirmations and all that stuff. Like, I call myself a success coach, but man, I go heavy on the affirmations and what are you focusing on and how are you speaking and who you're hanging out with? Like all that stuff, all of it matters. But to get back to your question about how to hire somebody, I think first of all, you got to decide what it is that you really want help with, what you're sort of sucking at on your own and getting clear on the specifics around that. And then getting out there and going to all the seminars and getting on people's mailing lists and reading books. And I am sure every, there's many coaches that could help that could have helped me. And I was sort of looking to see who spoke my language. Like when it's kind of like, you can hear the same thing over and over and over. And then somebody says something a certain way and you get that aha moment. Mm. So you're going to want somebody who sort of says it in a way that you hear it. And look at their testimonials, see how they write, see what they're interested in, see what they're good at, then talk to them and and tell them what you're looking for and see what they say and see how you like their answer. Yeah. And I mean, an analogy that I like to use, because I do think there is value. If you can find the right person that has the experience, it's really no different than finding, well, I guess there is a difference between finding a mentor, but a life coach is someone that is consistently there but it's similar to a athlete or top performer being able to perform at their best and I think you say this in some of the interviews that you mentioned as well about being able to outsource certain things in your life where you're actually accountable to someone that can actually help you perform at your best because there's so many blind spots that I think that we don't see because we're always in the trenches we're always self-analyzing and being able to have someone that can really take a step back for you and look at your life from like a 360 perspective can really help you, I guess, get out of some of the ruts that you're going through. So what was kind of that shift for you when you started working with the life coach in addition to changing your mindset around money? And maybe even walk us through an exercise that you would do in addition to the letters that you would be writing for your mindset around money. What we did mostly, we just went hell-bent on building this online marketing business for me. And when stuff came up that I was freaked out about, then we would look at that. So one example I do remember is, you know, we set it up and I started um, signing up clients for my first, it was an over-the-phone class that I was doing. 
And, you know, and we, and, and we were signing them up at a, at a certain rate. And I get this question a lot, like, how do you figure out what to charge? And so for me, like charging 50 bucks an hour seemed crazy. But one of the exercises that we did was, you know, getting really clear on, well, what is value and how do you value yourself and what's too much and what's not enough and da, da, da. And so she had me just get really quiet one time. She's like, all right, let's figure out what you're going to charge each client. Uh, to work with you for these eight weeks. And, you know, I already knew what I was going to be providing. And I don't know what the number was. I'm just going to make one up. But I think like a number like 150 to $200 per person came into my head. And, um, and it was really just an intuitive thing. Um, and she was like, you know, pick the first number that comes in your head. And then she made me double it. <laughs> so I was fully flipping out. Because she's like, so that's the the sort of intuitive number you got. And we want to push you because we want this relationship with money and value to be outside your comfort zone because we're growing here. And this is all about pushing your own boundaries and your own beliefs about what's possible for you. And this is a really cool thing that once I started experiencing it with money, it was like, if I charge something that I was comfortable with or even something less than to sort of like make it more affordable for people, money is currency and currency is energy. So money is currency and currency is energy. So the energetic that you go into this exchange with some, and it's always with another person, money always comes through other people to us. So when you get into this energetic exchange with somebody else, if you're shrinking down and coming from a lower value, a lower frequency, you're meeting them there. That's the energetic exchange you're having. So you're basically saying to this person, like, I don't think that you could come up to this higher frequency. So I'm going to shrink down where you are. And we're all going to meet at this lower frequency. When you scare the crap out of yourself and you raise your frequency and you're like, all right, bitches, it's on. Like I'm up here and I'm freaking out and I'm holding out my hand and I'm bringing you up here with me. I'm, I'm stretching you too everybody shows up bigger. Like I was a hell of a lot better of a coach then because I was like, holy crap, I'm charging these people this much money. I've got to perform it 10 times better than I ever have. <laughs> and they showed up bigger too. I like that quote that you said about money is really just a currency. And, and at the end of the day, it's an exchange of energy because it is, whether it's online, whether it's offline. Obviously, if you are working with a client, it is a little bit different, but people can sense your tone in anything that you do, I find. And for life coaches, it's helping people that you know that are listening right now. They may be making $10,000 a year. They may be making 100000 a year. They may be making a million dollars a year. We all have this invisible lid that we tell ourselves where it's, oh, no way. I can't make that much. There's no way. I mean, mm -hmm. Or, oh man, like I would feel so freaking uncomfortable if I was to ask for this much. And it's funny because you may have said that maybe 10 years ago or five years ago, even a year ago about a certain amount. And for a lot of people, they've increased their income or their business at a certain level. And now that number seems nothing now that they've gotten here. Mm -hmm. Yet that 10x number from where they are today, all of a sudden seems a massive number. So it's, it is really all a mindset. And I think that's really the power of working with a life coach. What do you think are some of the mindset things that are sabotaging people today about money or even just being able to live a more fuller life? Well, specifically with money, I, again, that, that money is the root of all evil, that immediately going to all the evil things that money causes without realizing that it's, it's greed. It's not money. Greed is the root of a lot of evil, um, that, you know, you're only in it for the money, 
Um, there are just so many sort of catchphrases that we just knee jerk say without waking up to and being like, huh, why am I saying that? Do I really believe that? Is that really true? And I think that there's countless things, and this is where the parental thing comes so, um, plays such a big part, and society, but we learn a lot of this stuff from our parents. You know, what do your parents think about money? What do they tell you? Because mm. we take it as the truth and we don't question it. And we're just like, well, that, that's the way it is. You know, money's really hard to make. You have to do a lot of stuff you hate in order to make lots of money. You have to work really, really hard to learn lots of money, to earn lots of money. You know, lots of stuff that puts a negative connotation on the earning of and the making of money. Do you know who Grant Cardone is by any chance? I don't. He is, he's pretty out there on YouTube, but he, he's like a typical guy that I think of when, you know, when you think about like, I want money, I want to get rich. And he's kind of like the epitome of someone that is really embracing that belief and is even teaching his children to, to live by that. It's funny because he still gets a lot of hate for it. And I guess it's, it's going to take a while for, <laughs> you know, for people in a major society to be able to really accept that kind of talk. I don't know if it's because it makes people feel bad about their situation, but I see a lot of people that are also in that growth mindset where even if they're poor, like completely poor, having someone talk like that or having someone talk about money fuels them rather than drains them. Well, it's so, I'm so not surprised to hear you say that. I mean, of course, one of the mantras that I use all the time is I love money. Think about how gross that one is, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that. What kind of person says that? <laughs> you know? And so it's really confronting. And then you got to look at why do I feel like a filthy whore when I say I love money? What is what does that subconsciously say to me? And then questioning those subconscious beliefs. What's, what's wrong with loving money? Look at all the awesome things that money does for me. And look how much more I can give when I'm taken care of and when I have more to give. Why is something that we use every single solitary day so criminalized? Why is something that we use every single solitary day for good so criminalized? And you're at a different place in your life. I don't know how you are dealing with this in your regular social life and your family members. I'm personally, again, coming from a conservative family, so I'm still going through that transition of being able to be more comfortable talking about money and to be able to share and be more transparent about that process. I'm curious to know for people that maybe are already there, but are maybe a little bit more intimidated, being able to share that and be able to talk about money and all that stuff more openly, what are some of the tips that you could give for people? And what are some of the things that you do around your closest friends or around your well, first of all, I don't think we ever get to the place where we're totally set in most things. You know, we can all get thrown off our game and question ourselves and feel insecure and weird about pretty much anything at pretty much any time. <laughs> but um, I, I always recommend, especially when you're really working on something that's sort of new and you're building up your confidence muscle and your own belief muscle to be very careful about who you share uh, your hopes and dreams with and your beliefs with because you're going against a lot of your own doubt, fear, and worry in the beginning especially. Um, so let's say money. You know, when I was working on, you know, if it doesn't make me money, I'm not interested. I didn't tell that to a lot of people. And quite frankly, you know, the people who are closest to you and your family are the ones you're going to get the most flack from anyway because – 
without going into too much detail, your family and your close friends love the person they know as you. And when you decide to change who you are, I don't care if it's losing weight, if it's finally getting married, if it's moving, you know, quitting your job, making money, blah, blah, blah. You're basically killing off the person they know and love and they are resentful of this new person because you've killed off their old person. Plus, it makes them have to sort of look at themselves, which a lot of people don't want to do until they decide they're ready to do it. So it's easily the most common question I get at all of my talks. What do you do when the people around you, you know, closest to you don't support you? So I always recommend just don't share it with them because they will most, you know, under the guise of worrying about you will drag you down. And in the early days, I didn't know anybody who was okay with money. I didn't know anybody who was really going for transforming their money story and, and starting to get rich. So that was another thing about going to all of these seminars and hiring a private coach and um, going, you know, just getting involved in that whole world, even though there was so much about it that was uncomfortable to me. At least I was surrounded by other people who were like, yeah, go for it. How can I help you? Like, mm lifting me up instead of being like, well, you know, most people who start their own businesses fail, you know, don't go into credit card debt. You'll never get out of it again. I had plenty of those own, of those fears on my own. Trust me, I would wake up screaming in the middle of the night about that kind of stuff. You can still love them. You can still keep them in your life. But I definitely lost some friends along the way because of this kind of stuff. But definitely choose wisely who you share your thoughts and dreams with. Yeah, I mean, I can see a lot of people, I'm sure, just nodding their heads as they went through this experience or whether they're going through it now or whether they're about to go through this experience. It's tough, right? And I guess your recommendation is not to talk about it, especially in the early days, because you're already fighting your own demons of this is so uncomfortable. Like, what am I doing? This sounds so groggy. I love money. Like, what are you talking about? This is so unlike me. And then you got to face your mom and your 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 dad mm -hmm. and all these different things. At what point do you start feeling more comfortable and trying to educate or at least bring the people that you're with up with you? And how does that conversation go eventually when you're ready to have that conversation? I have learned the hard way to not try to bring anybody up with me who hasn't asked for it first. Hmm. It's very unpopular, unsolicited advice. So... You know, if if some friends or family are like, holy crap, how did your broke ass get to where you are now? I am more than happy to share what I know with them. But I tend to not make a habit out of telling anybody what I think they should do with their lives or how they could better it unless I'm asked. Mm, okay, so you, you wait for them to ask. You, wait, you kind of lead by example. And then if they get curious yeah. is when you can start approaching them through that. But process. sometimes I just can't help it. <laughs> Right. I mean, I'll tell you what best for me is if I'm like, you know, if somebody's bitching about being broke or how much they hate their job or whatever. And if there's somebody I love, I'm like, listen, I'm happy to help you and I will do whatever I can and I will share all my knowledge with you. But we got to sit down and do it like a real grown up session, coaching session. Um, and I'm here to do it for you. And I'm never bringing it up again because I want you to come to me. But I'm just telling you right now, I'm 100 percent here and then I never bring it up again. You said you let go of a few of your friends that weren't there with you. And we don't have to go into super details about it, but for anyone that's listening that maybe have friends or acquaintances that are just not supporting them, what are some of the ways that they can curate a better circle of people that can support them? Getting very clear on what you're looking for in other people. Again, like I went to a lot of money-making seminars because I knew that the people there 
we're going to be working on the same kind of stuff. I, I paid for my friends in the early days. Honestly, I would join coaching groups. I'd, um, hire, you know, my life coach became one of my best friends, but I was making a very conscious effort to surround myself with new people who were going in the same direction. I was, you know, in a lot of women's entrepreneurial circles as well. You know, those ladies were trying to make something happen in their own lives. So I, I had to make the conscious effort to seek them out though, instead of sitting around bitching and moaning about the fact that nobody I knew was, I couldn't relate to them anymore. You know, that we get, we get stuck by that, by falling back on the bitching and moaning instead of being like, all right, well, what can I actually do to change this? We put a man on the moon, you can go out and find new friends. Yeah. And what's great about the exercises about just being able to remove some of the limiting beliefs that you may have had or that you've been taught is for the listeners, we're talking about money a lot here in this topic because this is one of the most taboo topics out there. But this can be applied in any aspect of your life, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your you know athletic pursuit, whether it's going over some of the fears that you may have, maybe you want to go skydiving. It's really about anything and being able to redefine some of those fears that you have. But we just chose money as one of the topics to cover. I'm curious to know, is it just the similar things? Can it really be applied to just about any of the other aspects that we want to be able to go over? This is kind of what your first book was about, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I focused on money because that was my big thing. But absolutely, it's all the same crap and it's all the same. It's the same routine. Become aware of what your limiting beliefs are. Question them push yourself outside your comfort zone regarding them, scare the crap out of yourself on a regular basis, surround yourself with people who are going to support you. So all of that works with losing weight, with finding love, with making money, with, you know, anything you want to change in your life. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And a quote that I generally like to read over and over again, I think it was mentioned by Peter Thiel, who was the first investor of Facebook, co-founder of PayPal, what he recommends people to do just to be able to shock their system is figure out what your 10-year goal is and ask yourself why you can't accomplish that in six months. You first hear that you're like, oh my God, like how am I ever going to be doing that? But it really, for me at least, and I know for a lot of people, it repositions your beliefs and your planning process and your limits and just shocks you. It's like a mental shock. It doesn't have to be exactly six months in your 10-year goals, but it just allows you to think in a completely different way than you normally would have. So I just thought I would throw that in there for anyone that wants to be able to ask the tactical question to be able to get themselves into that mindset. So we generally end off the interview with one small actionable challenge that we can offer to the listeners where as soon as they're done listening to this, they can take that one actionable step. This could be very small. It could be something a little bit longer. What's something that they can do to shift some of the limiting beliefs they have about money, about some of the fears they may have, their relationships, really anything that they can go out and do after this episode? Find something that scares the living crap out of you that would move you in the direction of your goal and get off this podcast and go do it right now. Love it. Well, thanks so much, Jen, for coming on the show. Where can people thanks find so you Thanks so much online? for having me. Um, they can go to my website. You can get there actually by going to youarebadass.com or jensincero.com. And sincero is spelled like sincere. So it's J-E-N-S-I-N-C-E-R-O.com. Amazing. I can't believe you actually got youarebadass.com as a domain. 
I did it before I wrote the book. So thank God I've got about a million URLs of books I haven't yet written. (laughs) (laughs) Always find a URL. Very strategic. I love it. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for being on, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.